Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you feel like your allergies are having a comeback tour and you want relief quickly, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny, and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. 20 years ago, in the year 2000, Anno Domini, Lo Unto Us was given the greatest of all albums, D'Angelo's Voodoo. And now, Charlie, 20 years later, we come together to celebrate this album to learn the hidden stories behind its creation, to unpack the way it continues to influence contemporary artists, and to hear how the album's biggest hit almost destroyed its creator. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. This is Switched On Pop Voodoo Edition. So I've been thinking a lot about this album, Voodoo, recently because I've been reading a new book by Faith Pennick, simply called Voodoo. It's mm-hmm. part of the 33 and a third series from Bloomsbury, where every book in that series breaks down a single album. Mm. And so Faith has written about Voodoo, which has caused me to go on this voyage of the soul back to my own <laughs> childhood and sort of thinking about how this album continues to resonate even after two decades. So, Charlie, what I want to do is break down some of the core musical qualities of this album with you, and then the second half, we're going to bring Faith into the conversation to think about the legacy of this album and how it affected its star, D'Angelo. Sound good? It's about to get romantic in here. Oh, yeah. It's going to get get steamy. (laughs) Let's open a window, because this is the first thing we're going to listen to today. I think when you think of voodoo, the first thing you think of is the sound of D'Angelo's voice. It's potent. Yeah. Our vocabulary reaches a a sort of vanishing point here. And the way we describe vocal timbre, as we've talked about on the show, we don't have the technical terms that are really necessary to describe D'Angelo's voice. No, I mean, you could go historical on it, obviously the connection to gospel. Yes. But if you want to go and find the right adjectives, it's totally subjective and anything that anything that you feel works. Yeah, I mean, here's what I feel. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, whoa, mm, yeah. But you're right, there is some historicism here. And a lot of the sound of D'Angelo's voice comes from the Virginia church that he grew up in as the son of a preacher. So he is deeply steeped in the sounds of gospel music. Hmm. And you can hear that just even in that little acapella clip we listened to, the way those harmonies stack up one on top of another. The way he has this melismatic approach to singing, 
where you take a single syllable and stretch it out. Mm. Mm. And the way that he's constantly moving between something that sounds like speech and something that sounds like song, that's kind of a big part of the gospel tradition. You're preaching and you're constant, and you're really, in order to get your message across, you're changing your timbre from talking to singing at any given moment. So we get all of that on Voodoo, and I feel like a track like The Line is really a showcase for D'Angelo's vocal prowess. The way in which he alters his voice yes. to almost sort of play different characters, like it in the hip hop world, reminds me of like Kendrick Lamar, where you yeah. Nobody pray for me. It been a day for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it's, there's not sort of any one person. It feels like there's 18 D'Angelo's happening at one time. Totally. And again, I think this is a deep part of a black Southern gospel tradition. I mean, we can listen to a recording from way back in 1927 by the Reverend J.C. Burnett. And I think we'll hear a lot of this same vocal approach. do we have that moving from talking into singing and sort of multitude of ways of communicating, yeah. but you also have the, the same sort of uh, choir in the background. Totally. And what's so neat for me about this is like, oftentimes when you think about a choir's job, it's to not stand out from the mm. lead vocalist. And you usually do that by a, a sort of more constrained style of singing. Yeah. And here we have just so much vibrato and really emotional kind of singing. And yet, it still blends. Like, it feels like it's actually all part of one texture, all totally. these voices. Yeah. No, this is a, an approach where every syllable gets, like, the maximum amount of emotion and depth. And at times, what they're saying is less important than the way it's being sung and the way it's being expressed. So that's the kind of sacred side of this musical experience. Well, perhaps I think in the sacred experience, probably what's being said is probably extremely important, the feeling equally sort of bringing it up. But I'm curious about how it then translates into the sort of R&B context, especially when it becomes about sensuality rather than spirituality. There, it feels like the the way of singing ends up being privileged. Totally. Yeah, no, there's, there's this sort of sacred celestial vibe to this album and then there's the profane the secular the earthy mm. and i think you can hear that on a track like chicken grease you know, open another window now. Yeah. <laughs> so on that previous track, the line, we could hear the sort of gospel influence here. Now we get the R&B influence and especially the influence of one of D'Angelo's icons, Prince, on mm. this track. Mm. In fact, the name of this track 
chicken grease kind of has two meanings. One is like deep south soul food cooking, you know, right. just like down and dirty, slapping on the chicken grease. Right. And then the other is this term, which I learned from reading Faith's book. It's a term that Prince used, sort of code word, when mm. he wanted his guitarist or when he himself would wanted to do this. Chicken grease meant playing a minor seventh chord in a 16th note pattern. Okay. Okay. So, Charlie, I'm going to need you to, to get out your axe. Okay. And hit us with a minor seventh chord. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like this. I mean, gorgeous on its own. Sweet. Just let that hang in the air for a second. But now we got to put it the rhythm on top of it. What does that sound like strummed in a fast 16th? note rhythm yeah now the that's sudden, chicken grease now all of a sudden we got some chicken grease if you want to hear it in prince look no further than one of his biggest hits kiss at the very beginning of the song ah <laughs> there it is and if we turn back to D'Angelo, there's actually a moment in the track where he yells out, like, give me some chicken grease on this. And then sure enough, the guitar comes in with that chicken grease pattern. This is fun because at the beginning you were talking about how hard it is to describe the timbre of a voice yeah. appropriately and yeah. how subjective it can be and even though we have some highly technical terms of exactly what a chicken grease comprises in terms of its harmony and rhythm it doesn't matter it's mm. just chicken grease like yeah. it has this totally <laughs> original sound for prince which has then of course blossomed into all of Popular music. And here totally. we've got Chicken Grease on yeah. D'Angelo. We've got Chicken Grease. And, you know, I think yeah. another way we can hear the influence of, of Prince and classic R&B in this album is in D'Angelo's falsetto. This is, like, such a characteristic sound of this album. And I think it's one of the ways that it's proved so influential mm. like if you listen today to an artist like justin timberlake definitely or even frank ocean it's hard to imagine the sound of contemporary male falsetto. Something I talked about at length with uh, Estelle Caswell a few months back. Yeah, It's hard to imagine the sound of falsetto today without this album, because I think it redefined for so many male artists like the expressive possibilities of falsetto. That wonderful upper register of the voice. Yes. Nate, how's your falsetto? It's a pretty good! Ooh! <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Not very good. Okay, so we've covered the gospel influences on voodoo. We've talked about chicken grease. We've dug a little bit into falsetto. I think another defining musical texture of this album is its approach to rhythm. And in order to understand that, we have to go straight to this album's drummer, who's none other than Questlove. By the time that D'Angelo and I started the voodoo record, which was like mid-96, 
that was the hardest thing ever because he wanted me to drag the beat, but then he dragged the beat behind me. And so now I got to program my mind to think, okay, this is the metronome. And now he wants me to play. Which is, you know, I, I started having issues. Like, well, what if other drummers, like the musician community is going to laugh at me? And he's like, nah, man, trust me, like, use the force. My brain is broken. Yeah. So Amir Questlove Thompson, drummer for the live hip hop band The Roots, now member of the Jimmy Fallon show, mm -hmm. house band, uh, kind of this ubiquitous figure in contemporary popular music. Yeah. Once known as the human metronome, mm. when he's recording these tracks for Voodoo, D'Angelo tells him, no, you have to deprogram your, your inner metronome. Time is broken. And give us this kind of almost sloppy feeling behind the beat kind of rhythm. Mm. This is like such a characteristic sound of Voodoo. And it actually comes not from a drummer necessarily, but from a hip-hop producer named Jay Dilla. Let's listen to Dilla's production on a track by Slum Village called CB4. It's time to react. Back on the scene, that's my Nicholas Mack. Tell her the place to be is the place where she's at. There it is again. Yeah, These kind of off time, not landing exactly where you expect them to, drum loops. It's kind of like ragged behind the beat time. This became a sound that outlasted voodoo, like this approach to drumming. Like after voodoo, producers are going to start de-quantizing their beats so that they land in unexpected places. There's also the entire subgenre of lo-fi hip-hop, which so frequently references Jay Dilla and this sloppy but not sloppy drumming, this human drumming. I can't, I can't, it's hard to say because like it is so hard to play in time. Yeah. It's way harder to play out of time and still sound good. Consciously out of time. And you're yeah. right. You know, it's funny you say that because I think one of the artists who you can really hear being influenced by voodoo today is the bassist and singer Thundercat. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, let's just listen to a little bit of a song by him like Them Changes in one which you best. can hear a lot of this kind of behind the beat drumming approach. <laughs> has this quality where like I feel like time is suspended every single time I'm waiting for the snare to hit I'm like here it comes here it comes here oh no yeah. oh oh it's there never it exactly what you're expecting oh it's you know, powerful Thundercat has such a great quote about what you're talking about the difficulty of playing drums like this you know he's a big fan of voodoo uh he says overall the whole album brought me so much perspective on my instrument one thing I will say is that I hate what it did to drummers. Everyone wanted to be Questlove and <laughs> fell miserably short. I mean, seriously, some of their grooves would sound as if someone stuffed two combat boots in a dryer and put a microphone <laughs> next to it. That's a beautiful metaphor. I want to. I try know. That. I read that and I was like, "Damn, that's cold, but also, you know, pretty accurate." Jay Dilla passed away in 2006, but this sound is still influential today and definitely outlasted Voodoo.
All right, we've got the gospel tinge, we've got the chicken grease, the references to Prince, the falsetto, this quest love behind the beat drumming style. What else does this album offer? I think it gives us this kind of jam session approach to soul, something that totally revitalized the the, the genre of soul and R&B at the turn of the millennium and today continues to inspire musicians. I mean, this was an album that was created by putting really talented people in a room, having them jam together and see what happened. Hmm. And at this point, we should talk about some of the other musicians who were in the room. Yeah, who are these characters? These characters were the cream of the crop of jazz and session musicians hmm. of the day. You've got Pino Palladino. <laughs> Yes. Journeyman oh, bass player. A name you might not be familiar with, but who you have heard playing yeah. with like every musician ever. Yeah. He's probably on thousands of records at this point. Yeah. He is like the zealot of <laughs> modern music. And then you've got a jazz guitarist. It's kind of, I guess what I want to call him named Charlie Hunter, but he's not exactly a guitarist. No. Charlie Hunter is a bit of an enigma, and as, as a guitarist myself, he's somebody who radically inspires me because he doesn't just play the guitar. He plays the guitar with three bass strings on his guitar yeah, and plays bass and guitar at the exact same time in a way that is utterly mind-bending, like doing calculus in your head. Yeah, it's it's bananas. He's also is an amazing tambourine player, which I only know because <laughs> I saw him live once, and all of a sudden he busted out a tambourine and just like took a tambourine solo, and everyone was like, wait, what is happening, and why is this so good? We could play um, the sound, not the tambourine. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. So okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, so here's, here's a nice example. Here's Charlie Hunter. You're going to hear a bass line, and then you're going to hear some guitar seep in, and it's important to remember these are the same person playing the same instrument at the same time. I often think of the guitar as like a journey and trying to make your hand as uncomfortable as it possibly can to make chords that make no sense. And he does that yeah. while simultaneously playing a bass line. It's, <laughs> it's pretty mind-melting. We've got Charlie Hunter, and then we've got another sort of jazz cognoscenti in the room here, Roy Hargrove on mm. trumpet, who yeah. is, you know, when you listen to him in another context, you're like, how would this person work on a R&B album this is like just straight up blistering jazz Hargrove is one of those players who on the trumpet such a ubiquitous instrument yeah you can tell it's him immediately totally Roy Hargrove passed away a few years ago, but he's still one of those artists who on trumpet has such ubiquitous sound, you can tell it's him immediately. And when their forces come together on certain tracks at D'Angelo, Charlie Hunter, Roy Hargrove, it's like this kind of blend of jazz and soul and R&B that I think a lot of artists are still striving for. Let's uh, take a listen to Spanish Joint. Oh, 
Hargrove doing something with his trumpet where it's like got some like synth harmonies under it because it is definitely it's multi-tracked. There multi-tracked. might be some effect on it. Yeah. You know, in Faith's book, the engineer, Russell Elevato, talks about like find, using all these specific microphones and ways of mixing the Targros trumpet so it doesn't always sound like a trumpet you'd expect. Mm-hmm. That's another person who's worth mentioning here, the engineer behind this session who recorded the whole Voodoo album at Electric Ladyland Studios, where Jimi Hendrix once recorded that eponymous mm. album. And, like, they were literally, like, blowing dust off microphones that hadn't been used <laughs> since the 1970s and hooking them up. It was all analog. That's also a part of this sound. I love how you describe this as, like, a jam session-like album with some of these amazing players because here it feels both... To- like, it's a totally new sound that it feels like it comes from the confluence of all of these players together who come from different styles and then like made something totally original, even including the engineer and the space and like all of it comes together to make this uh, sort of pantheon of an album. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's one great anecdote from the book where Questlove talks about Russell Elevato recording his drums and then playing them back through a guitar amplifier Mm. and then recording that You can hear it on the track, which is just not even a full track. It's just like a little jam session that they stuck into the album, and it's simply called Booty. Totally. It's like crunchy, compressed, boxy. It's a guitar It's cool. And again, we have that kind of behind-the-beat sound. Mm. I think, you know, when you when you think about fast forward 20 years and you think about musicians kind of operating in the shadow of voodoo, I think we might take for granted how this kind of jam session collaborative approach to music making is now very common today. Hmm. Like, I think a lot of albums and tracks get made by putting people in a room, having them, you know, play together hmm. and seeing what happens. Hmm. And a lot of my favorite soul and R&B records of the last two decades kind of take this approach. Mm. And a good example might be Solange Knowles. Mm, Oh, definitely. And her album, A Seat at the Table, and she is like a huge D'Angelo fan. Like she is a self-professed D'Angelo acolyte. (laughs) And she even works with some of the musicians who worked on voodoo, like singer-songwriter Raphael Sadiq. When we listen to a a track like Cranes in the Sky, I think we're going to hear all of these elements. We're going to hear those stacked gospel vocal harmonies, these kind of sloppy behind-the-beat drum patterns. We're going to hear these songs that have this jam session vibe to them that like clearly emerged from late-night sessions in a smoke-filled room (laughs) doing whatever felt good until you find something that is just right. Let's check out Cranes in the Sky. Well, it's like cranes in the sky. Sometimes I don't want to feel those metal Oh my gosh. There's, yeah, it's all there. Yeah. I mean, her stacked vocals, that harpy synthy thing, which is just not in anyone's time, totally. it's in its own time. Yeah. 
both these albums, you can really sort of, it, you almost feel like you're in the space that they're recording it in. Mm. It does, it's not too polished. Yeah, it, there's a rawness yeah. and a kind of intimacy. So I feel like together we have deconstructed this famous album's constituent parts. We have them all here on the studio floor. And I guess it makes me wonder, what is it about these unique characters, the rhythms, the gospel vocals, the jam session style writing? How do they come together to create this larger artistic statement? What is what is D'Angelo doing here? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think this album has become such a touchstone because of all the reasons we talked about. But at the same time, it exists in its own kind of little world. And there never has and never will be another album like it. It is this kind of coherent artistic statement and this is an album in every sense you can listen from beginning to end and it feels like one continuous journey it's the product of three years of jam sessions it's the product of 1.5 million dollars of <laughs> label money a sum which is kind of unthinkable today and 4,000 bootleg Soul Train tapes that Questlove brought back from Japan and they would watch during <laughs> breaks I think this album remains so compelling because it's this unique statement of what R&B could be and what soul could be. And it and it certainly kind of kickstarted this whole movement that would become known as neo-soul, for better or worse. And yet at the same time, for all of those kind of superlatives, it just is what it is. It is voodoo. Yeah, it, he's using the metaphor of voodoo to say, like, this thing is, you, you can take it all apart. But, of course, the sum is bigger than individual parts, and that is the magic. Speaking of which, there is one part of this album that is like the elephant in this conversation, the elephant uh, in the room. Or should I say the naked, gleaming, sweaty torso in the room? Because there's one song on this record the biggest song in fact that we have decided not to talk about yet and that's for a very good reason this is the song of all the all the tracks on voodoo that had the most impact on d'angelo's career both positively and deeply negatively when we come back untitled parentheses how does it feel Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you have allergies, then I've got a familiar scenario for you. You wake up on a beautiful spring morning and peek outside. You get a feel of that nice breeze, but then you start to feel a little tickle in your nostrils. That tickle is the spring air telling you to go be a hermit and avoid the outside because you'll soon be a sniffling, sneezing mess. But don't listen to it. Allergies suck, but a good nasal spray makes all the difference. I personally learned that I suffer from adult onset allergies, and it's a real bummer. But a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolias, my favorite flower. If you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latinx culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. 
from conversations with the Latine minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping and get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Okay, Charlie, we have not discussed the one track that most people think of when they think of D'Angelo's Voodoo. How does it feel? Co-written by D'Angelo and the great Raphael Sadiq. This song is synonymous with sex. Let's just be <laughs> frank about it. And before we even talk about the video, let's talk quickly about some of the reasons this song is so sexy. Yeah, take a minute to compose wow. yourself. Can't quantize romance. And yet I would say that a 6-8 time signature is the sexiest of oh. all time signatures. One, two, three, four, five, six. The time. Yeah, I mean, maybe like historically connected to it coming from the waltz, which is uh, dancing with your partner. I don't know. <laughs> we'll give it, yeah, okay. I'll give it to you. Dancing closely, the yeah. sexy waltz. <laughs> Uh, certainly it's got this like pulse to it with the underlying triplets. One, two, three, four, five, six. But then it also has this kind of slow one, two, one, two, three, four, five. Right. So you've got like kind of both of those. You've got like something kind of fast and slow at the same time. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think sexiness is all about that tension. And this song is constantly doing, it's constantly going from like, Soft to loud and back again. Right. You know? Right. Even in the very first kind of beat of it. Well, that's what I mean. You can't quantize romance. Like, you can't play it to a grid because it's multiple people trying to figure out, hey, what's what's going on here? Totally. Totally. I mean... There's no formula to romanticism and sexiness, but there is, I think, in this song, a, a playbook to follow, which is the slow build. This is a seven-minute uh. track, <laughs> and when you get to these moments of payoff, it is orgiastic. Yeah, don't sleep on the bridge of this song, by the way. People leave out that deeply funky guitar break. I love how he's doing all of these sort of melismatic runs, mm-hmm. the you know the oohs and the ahs. Yeah. And then the instruments pick it up. 
Yes. Right? They're like they're in conversation with each other, which is which is great because this song in many ways is about uh healthy sexual communication. Absolutely. Wow, well said, Chuck. I think that reaches kind of a fever pitch towards the end. You know, this point is almost like a, yeah, like a dialogue between voice and guitar, and you can almost hear these two voices coming together as yeah. one. Uh. It's very, I'm, oof, I gotta cool down just yeah. talking about it. <laughs> All right, so at this point, we've talked about sort of the positive legacy of this song. It remains a bedroom staple. Sure. But it also had some really negative consequences for D'Angelo, his career, his personal life. Mm. And it all has to do with this video. Its massive success would also prove to be D'Angelo's undoing. In order to break that down, let's bring in the author of the book on voodoo, Faith Penick herself. Let me put this in context. The album, when it came out, that was not what R&B sounded like. R&B was very regimented. It was, you know, very sort of colored by numbers. You know, you had... Joe to see. Destiny's Child was coming up. You quote uh, Questlove in in the book is calling it the the shiny suit period. Right, the shiny (laughs) suit time. Right, exactly. That's exactly what it was. And some of that music is great, but Voodoo was on another level. And it was obvious that he was influenced by, you know, African and Caribbean music and jazz and rock. And, you know, obviously he comes out of a gospel tradition and was really trying to, you know, pull back a lot of older R&B references. The emotional intelligence that D'Angelo displayed on this record, I didn't see it coming. It went platinum. It sold more than a million copies. Obviously, it was a success, but not with a big S. And I think a lot of people just weren't ready for it. Tell us a little bit about one of the underappreciated collaborators, the kind of the secret, the secret songwriter in this voodoo album, Angie Stone. Angie Stone is the probably the unsung heroine of voodoo and of D'Angelo's career, frankly. She is a singer and songwriter. She's originally from South Carolina. Angie Stone started out in a group called The Sequence that had a hit called Funk You Up. And from there, she became a solo artist and actually was put together with D'Angelo by uh, Jocelyn Cooper, who felt that Angie Stone could help D'Angelo become a better songwriter and, frankly, 
help him finish uh, Brown Sugar at the time. He was in the middle of uh, working on that album. She thought that Angie could help him be a little more disciplined and and get the work done and you know get the album finished. And he did. Brown Sugar Bay. I guess high up your love, I don't know how to be. In the process of them working on Brown Sugar, they became romantically involved. They had a child together. When D'Angelo started working on Voodoo, he was in the process of breaking up with Angie Stone. They co-wrote, one of the songs they co-wrote together is Send It On, uh, which is basically a tribute to their firstborn son. lovely song. I I do wonder what was going through their minds in the sense of that they, you know, they wrote the song for their son. Meanwhile, their relationship was fraying. And actually, Questlove, he said in an interview in Vibe when the album came out in 2000 that he guessed that Voodoo in part is D'Angelo sort of working out the tumult of Mm. the ending of his relationship. But Angie Stone, she co-wrote four songs on the album, and she is a big reason that he is where he is today. And I I do think she doesn't get the credit for mm. that. I mean, obviously, she has her own solo career as a singer-songwriter. But, it, you know, I do think, frankly, that, the you know, it's the men that work on that album who get pretty much all of the yeah. shine, all of the glory. And... You know, Angie Stone is just sort of a footnote. And I don't know, I I feel that, uh, and I wrote about this in the book, that she definitely deserves more credit in being a, at least, if not, at least a seed as Mm. far as sprouting the ideas that D'Angelo et al., you know, created that ended up becoming voodoo. When the video for Untitled, How Does It Feel, drops, it changes D'Angelo's world. What happens? Describe this video, which you simply call the video, <laughs> and the impact it had on D'Angelo's career. The video starts out on the back of his head with his cornrows, and then he does a 180, slowly comes around. You see his eyes are closed, and you see his eyes open. A flirt. You can obviously tell that I've seen this too, <laughs> gazillion times. <laughs> and like when it's on his eyes, and then he, you know you hear his voice. <laughs> And as it as he keeps singing, it it pulls out, and then finally, as it pulls out, it's like a mid range shot of him from the torso up, from the belly button up, and he's totally ripped. He's just glistening. He's got his little gold chain with the cross on it, and so he's thugged out. But in this sort of, he was your thug fantasy, for lack of a better description. I mean, he was the guy who was singing to you and singing to only you. And and you got to look at his six-pack while doing it, and you were just like, yay. Dominique Trenier, who was his manager at the time, it was actually his idea for the video, and he was very clear that he wanted to make D'Angelo a superstar. Hmm. He didn't just want, you know, Voodoo to come out and just sort of, you know, everyone was like, oh, that's nice, that sounds good. He had a master plan, and that was the Untitled video. 
and D'Angelo, at least by first glance, being naked, even though he wasn't really naked, he had pants on, but he had sweatpants on. But, you know, he, that was intentional. And, and he, he knew that it would be like, you know, lightning in a bottle. You know, he knew that, you know, people were just going to fall out, you know, basically when, when the video came out. Yeah. And I think D'Angelo was very uncertain about it because he's shy. You know, and I think that's the thing is like, you know, he's a, he's very shy and sort of a nerd. <laughs> and D'Angelo was sort of like, you want me to be naked? It was a game changer. I know people say that a lot, but women were stopped in their tracks and particularly black women were like, it replaced, hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, you know, instead of how was your day, it was, have you seen any D'Angelo video? <laughs> there was a point. I was on the phone with my hairstylist in Brooklyn. I was living in New York City at the time. And I was talking to her, and then all of a sudden there was a silence. And I thought, what happened? What? Why? Hello? Are you there? Hello? For anyone who's ever been in a hair salon, it, you, it's usually pretty loud. You know, it's a lot of people going, yeah, I did, you know, you have, you know, blow dryers and people talking and the TV run. And in the distance, I could hear... <laughs> and I went, all these black women are sitting there watching this video in real time. Total silence except just D'Angelo's voice, mm. but not that, oh, they're watching a the video. Women, we were elated because at the time it was pretty much videos with, particularly, again, this was the rise of hip hop. Yeah. And you just had, you know, women in bikinis on top of cars <laughs> at poolside Wherever, you know, and even like rock videos, you know, like Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue. And, I, you know, there was nothing for women to look at. Hmm. And this was probably the, I don't know if it was, I don't, I won't, I don't want to say it was the first video ever, but the first video in a long time where it was made for women to look at for our pleasure, for our entertainment. And, and we could sit there and be like, yay. <laughs> Unfortunately... It was probably too successful. It was probably in the sense that it took away from the album. It took away from the music, from what, you know, from the very prolific work that D'Angelo and his team did on this album. Everybody now was focused on the video. The pressure to be a sex symbol more than a musician kind of derails D'Angelo's career following voodoo he struggles with drug use and and weight gain and run-ins with the law and it's not until 15 years later that he releases his next album black messiah Nevertheless, voodoo remained one of the touchstones of soul, R&B, and pop music. And I'm sure we'll continue to feel the influence of this record. Faith, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a fun conversation. Y'all pick up this book. It's simply called Voodoo by Faith Pennick, found wherever books are sold. And if you haven't yet, go listen to this album already. Yes, please do. It is too good for words. I'm Nate Sloan. And I'm Charlie Harding. 
Switched on Pop is produced by Megan Lubin and Bridget Armstrong, and Brandon McFarland is our extraordinary engineer. Abby Barr is our social media manager, and Iris Gottlieb is the illustrator of all illustrators. Nishat Kurwa and Liz Nelson are our executive producers, and we're a proud member of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Catch our show on any podcast player and talk to us at Switched on Pop on Twitter and on Instagram. We'll be back again in another week. And until then, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. One final shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. You know what's a terrible question? What's your favorite part of having nasal allergies? I don't know. Absolutely nothing. Luckily, you might be able to find some relief with Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's astaproallergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.